So grab a Bible and go to Romans chapter 1. If you're using an online Bible, um, go to the New Living Translation. If you don't have a a Bible with you or um, an app with you that you can open, you can grab the Pew Bible that's right in front of you there and open it to page 935. That's where you'll find Romans chapter 1, and we're going to get there in just a second. So get that open and get that ready. We are in a series called Awakening Pure Worship, and it's a book based on... um, It's a group of messages based on this book by Jeff Dio. Jeff Dio is a worship leader and a professor right now at North Central University. And his book has exploded since it was released in September. Uh, It's been the number one bestseller on Amazon a few times. And... For the week, and it has um, really, he's just been everywhere. He's been interviewed on almost every Christian program, and uh, it's a powerful, powerful message. And I'm covering some of the information in the sermons here. We talked about what is worship. We talked about worship being not just what we call this worship service or the worship time where we sing, but it is actually every part of our lives. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Offer your body to God as a living sacrifice. That's a spiritual act of worship. So it is not just singing to God, it's actually every part. But singing is worship. And one week we talked about being present in worship and how singing is powerful. And some of us discount because maybe we weren't raised in it, or maybe we just don't want to sing, or maybe we're not good at singing. And so we just, well, I don't really want to engage in it. And I promise you, you are missing something. God does not command us in the scripture to sing to the Lord unless it has a benefit for us. Okay, that was way better than you thought, but um, it's, it's just the truth. And so I, I want to encourage you, don't just go by what you were raised in or what you thought or what you taught, but um, we, we have a tendency to live from that paradigm and we need to make sure we're in the word. And so today, we're going to continue the conversation that we had last week about why we worship. Where worship is not for God, but actually worship is for us. Please don't be misunderstand that worship is to God. It's about God, and he is the only one worthy of worship. We're not worthy of worship, but worship actually is a benefit to us. That's why he's commanded us to do it. And so we're going to finish that conversation today with a sermon that I've called Made for Worship. Made for worship. And before we get into Romans chapter 1, I want to lay a little bit of a foundation so that I can get into some of the stuff I want to get into a little bit later. And I'm going to just tell you from the front, I don't cover everything that Jeff covers in this book. And this is a great read. Uh, it is loaded with scripture. And so he, he helps us understand what pure worship is and how to awaken our hearts to it. Um, awakening pure worship doesn't depend on God. Okay? It really depends on us responding to what God has already said. Okay? Too many of us keep praying, 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 praying for God to do something. And he's like, I've already put in you what I need you to start releasing. And you're not really releasing that. And so uh, we're kind of at this standstill. I mean, it's almost, I hate to use this analogy, uh, but it's almost like our Congress right now. Okay? I mean, one side wants this, and one side wants this, and we're like, we're crying out to God to do stuff in our nation, and he's like, mm, I've already told you what to do. Start doing it. Start releasing what I've put in you. Stop waiting for me to do it. I've done it. Jesus didn't say, it's mostly accomplished, or, you know, someday it'll be accomplished. He said, it is accomplished. It's done. It's finished on the cross, and he made everything available to us, and too much of the church is waiting for God to act, and he's like, uh, I respond to you. I respond to you responding to what I've already said. 
Does that make sense? Okay. I'm hoping you're just with me and I'm just overwhelming you with my knowledge right now. Um, but I, I want you to understand this book, okay, is a complete book. Okay? It's a total book. And this book is God's revelation of who he is and his plan for us as humans. That's what this book is. Okay? So it's his character, his nature, his ways, his personality, so that we don't have to wonder who he is. We can know. And this book is eyewitness accounts. These people saw God physically with their eyes move. Okay, These people actually saw God do things and they wrote it down for us. These people saw Jesus when he was physically present on the earth. The apostle Paul actually saw things in heaven. And so we have this book as an anchor for us to tell us how to live. And so we respond to this book. Okay, This is his plan, his original plan for people. But it's also his plan to redeem us back because his original plan didn't go as planned. I know that's hard to say because it, he knew it wasn't going to go as planned, so he was okay with that. But his original plan because of the rebellion of Adam and Eve in the garden, or let me just say it like it is, because of the rebellion of Adam in the garden, Eve was deceived, Adam rebelled. Okay, so that's just, let's just call that what it is. Adam rebelled against God, and because of that, we have been broken. Sin entered the world, death entered the world, broken lifestyle. But God had a plan since the beginning of time to redeem us, to buy us back. And he's put that plan into motion. And then the first part of this book is called the Old Covenant. And some of you right now are looking at me like, um, Pastor Tom, I know all this. Make sure you know it. Because sometimes we respond to stuff that we think we know, but we really don't listen and hear and know. So make sure you know. Old Covenant, Old Testament is an external covenant. It's all about behavior modification. Okay, I am a holy God. You got to act like me to come into my presence. And even then you have to come with a blood sacrifice because there has to be blood, death, offered for sin. There cannot be forgiveness of sin without death without blood. So you kill an animal so I don't kill you. <laughs> That's what God's saying in the Old Covenant. And so we kill these animals, we, we cleanse ourselves, we come into his presence, we tell him all about. And the Old Covenant was given not so we could be better people. The Old Covenant was not given so we could act like God. Do you know why the New Covenant was, or the Old Covenant was given? Look at Romans chapter 3. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law, Old Covenant, commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. God did not intend for the Old Covenant to work. He always had in mind a new covenant. The problem is that the Pharisees, the people in Jesus' day, thought they were doing a good job of keeping the law. They actually thought they were doing pretty good. They missed the whole point. The point wasn't try to be good enough to be accepted by God. It's, in, it's impossible. It's impossible for us to ever measure up to the standard that's required for us to have a relationship with God. You can't do it. And because they thought they were doing a good job, it made them look down on people that weren't doing a good job. And because of that, they even rejected Jesus the one who came to make a way for them to have a relationship with God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 3, 
the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. So he ushered in the new covenant. And the new covenant is found in, Rome, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. This is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel and us on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. Why does he tell us to renew our minds? God's going to put his law in our minds and he's going to write it on our hearts. And I will be their God, they'll be my people. See, you've got to understand something. The new covenant means we now have access to God that they did not have in the old covenant. We can go right into his presence. We are completely made right with God because Jesus fulfilled the law. He satisfied all of the law's demands for us. And now we can have an intimate relationship with God. And too many people are treating the new covenant like just a better version of the old covenant. I mean, they're still trying to be good people. They're still trying to act like Jesus without the internal modification of becoming like him. We have been created for an intimate relationship with God. The way the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, I want to know, intimately know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Experience is not a four-letter word. I know that we have made experience something we, oh, we don't want to talk about our experience I mean, we don't want to experience God. The devil has tricked us and lied us into a form of the old covenant that many of us are trying to perfect ourselves the way the Galatians church did. Paul said, did you receive the spirit because you kept the law? Why do you think you're going to be made perfect by keeping the law? It's impossible. It's not possible. These eyewitness accounts are meant, this book, this word, is meant to lead us into an experience with the God of this book. He doesn't want you just to know his word. He wants his word to lead you into a daily intimate relationship with the God of the word. You need him every day. God, I am desperate for your presence. Are you really? Are you desperate? I mean, are you to the point where you're like, I am sick of living in this old covenant mentality. I need a real, genuine behavior, internal behavior modification. Are we sick of it yet? Most of us aren't sick of it. Most of us are content to still come to church, sing a few songs, listen to what other people say we're supposed to eat, what, what God tastes like, and we're content to live that way instead of saying, God, I want to taste you for myself. I need to experience you. I need to experience your love. And here's the thing. This eyewitness account, does this thing helps our experience get in a frame. My experience isn't truth. This is truth. And this truth leads me to a truthful encounter with God, not just on Sunday morning when people are singing, but every single day of my life. There's a difference between doing and becoming. And Jeff digs into this in this book, and we have to understand this. There's a difference between becoming like Christ and acting like Christ. There's a difference. 
You can act like Christ and not become like Christ. But it's not possible to become like Christ and not act like Christ. You understand that? I mean, I understand discipline. I understand that we should imitate Christ. And while we are becoming like him, we are to act like him. We are to bring our flesh into subjection. But too many of us are trying to do it all externally. External things. I, I write down these things. I have to follow this list. And, I, and Jeff refers to it in his book as we get trapped in doo-doo. Doo-doo. I got to do, I got to do. And then we get frustrated and we don't measure up and then we feel guilty and then we're covered in shame and guilt and it actually pushes us away from the one we're supposed to draw close to. You are already made absolutely perfect in Christ Jesus. His sacrifice did that for you. And as we become one with him, as we learn to abide in him, as we behold him, we become like him. And out of becoming like him, fruit just naturally happens. This is so profound for us. And for some of us, we feel like we already know it, even though we're not living in it. And because we think we already know it, we're dismissing the message and we're not actually being transformed to be like him. We think it's too easy. We're, I'm not going to let myself off the hook. I'm not going to get into this false grace. This isn't false grace. This is true grace. But false grace is that I can somehow measure up to what God's told me to do in my own strength and power. We've got to come to the end of ourselves, and as we talked about last week as we in Corinthians, where as we behold him, we become like him. And the reason you're saying, well, Pastor John, what does this have to do with worship today? Well, because what we worship, we become like. I'm going to show you this in Romans chapter 1 in just a second. What we worship, we become like. You need to understand the word worship literally means worth-ship. Worthship. It's to ascribe worth or value to something. That's all it is. It's not singing. It's not, it's just putting value on something. And God has designed us to worship. And here's the thing we cannot refuse to worship. We have been created to worship. Now, you can refuse to worship God, but you will worship. You will worship something because it's in our DNA. He's put it within our hearts. And our response to what we value most, whether that's a relationship or a dream or friends or status or position or stuff or pleasure, we will give it our worship and we will become like it. We don't need to learn how to worship. We need to learn how to worship God, to center our attention on God, to center our adoration on God, to center our lives on Him, our time on Him, our energy, our devotion, our finances, and to become like Him. See, some of you will understand it this way. If you have a hero or you have someone in your life that you admire, you, you put them and you, you start looking at them and you actually start emulating them. Okay, this is what happened. Our children start doing this. So those behaviors in your children that you don't like, take a quick look at yourself and make sure they're not in you in some way that you're just not seeing because that's what happens. Okay, our, our kids become like us because they see us, they emulate us. We become what we worship. We pick up the mannerisms and phrases of those we worship. If you listen to my sermons over the past 20 years, you're going to know what kind of podcast I was listening to really heavy in that season of my life because of the mannerisms I use. Come on, I'm preaching better than your amen. And you're going to know that in those seasons, I was listening to John Bevere. 
You're going to know it. In fact, it got so crazy. I was listening to this new podcast that, that Brittany kind of plugged me into. And uh, she, one day at lunch, I, I, said, I said, dang it. And the, everyone in the family looked at me as if I said something weird. And I'm like, why are y'all looking at me like that? Well, you never say that. And I felt like I say it all the time. I don't know. It's, maybe I shouldn't say it, but I, I felt like it. And then it dawned. I'm, I had no idea what they were talking about. A few days later, I'm listening to this guy in this podcast again. And he goes, dang it. And the light came on. I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's where I picked it up. I didn't even realize I was picking it up. When you're in here worshiping, you don't even realize what you're picking up until all of a sudden you go out there. And that's why you can't just do it on Sunday. That's why every single day, every moment of our lives, we need to be looking at him, emulating him, admiring him, focusing everything on him so we realize, I don't even know I'm picking it up. That's the behavior modification. We try so hard to do it in our own flesh, and we can't do it. Okay, Romans chapter 1. we got to get there, or we'll never get there. Romans chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18, halfway down the chapter. It says, God shows his anger from heaven against sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. Now, if the Bible says... God has made the truth obvious. It's true. That means in our DNA, there's something in our DNA that has made truth obvious to us. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Okay? They have chosen not to worship God. We're going to find out here in a second. They've chosen to worship self. And so because of that, things that they should be able to easily see, they're not seeing. Verse 21, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. So they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, before we let ourselves off the hook because we don't have any um, idols in our homes like people or birds or animals or reptiles, you got to understand exactly what's being said here. Um, well, I, actually, I missed this. I want, to, I want you to have this quote. Um, the more intense our admiration, the more profound our transformation. That means the more you listen to that podcast, the more profound your transformation will become. So the more you, the more you focus every single day of your life on God, and I'm not going to take credit for that, that's Jeff, um, the more profound our transformation and that's, I mean, that's what all of us want. You wouldn't be in this room today if this isn't what you wanted. The problem is we're going at it the wrong way. We're trying to get transformation in our own strength, and all we're getting is frustrated. And so we're just, we're just trying to get us on the right track. But their idols, Psalm 115, 48, are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Noses, but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. And those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in 
them. And so what is being said here, as Jeff says, when we engage in this type of idolatry, we will unavoidably find ourselves growing dull in our ability to see what God sees, to hear what he hears, to sense what he senses spiritually. Spiritual seeing is understanding. When we become like non-seeing idols, we speak of losing our ability to understand the things of God, even the obvious things, even the most trivial things. We become like what we worship. So verse 24, Romans chapter 1. God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Now, don't think of abandon as hopeless, okay? That's not, he doesn't abandon anyone, okay? He sent his son. He came to us while we were his enemies. It means he just turned them over, okay? Meaning this, if you worship something, God's going to let you go down that pathway of where that, that natural result comes. So as a result of this, they did vile and degrading things with each other's body. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things God created. Don't miss that phrase. Because every one of us in some way is guilty of this idolatry in our lives. We worship the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. I mean, the Apostle Paul is so, he can't even write about this creator who is worthy of eternal praise without stopping for a moment to say amen. <laughs> oh, that we would be like that. That we wouldn't be able to just flippantly talk about how incredible God is without becoming overwhelmed by who he is. And so this is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. So they became dull because of what they worshipped, self. They became dull to what God said, and they did crazy things that should be obvious, okay? It should be obvious. When you think of sexuality, when you think of the way God designed it, when you think of the animal kingdom, it should be obvious to us how sex works. Should be obvious, okay? And so it, it, but it's not obvious. These people have come to a place where they have so closed their heart to God, they're missing the obvious things. Now we take this and we use it to beat homosexuals over the head. And that's not what Paul's saying. Yes, homosexuality is a sin. Yes, it's something we need to be delivered out of. Yes, but that's not the point Paul's making. The point Paul's making is when you start worshiping created things over the creator, you become so blind that even things that are obvious become unobvious. And there are people who come to church that homosexuality is so obvious to them, but there are other things in our lives that aren't so obvious. That should be. And we've become dull because we've worshipped. I promise you, this is where we're going. Some of you are like, he didn't say that. He's going to, okay? I'm just warming you up so it doesn't shock you when we get there. Okay, verse 28. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their own foolish thinking, let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin. Now, here we go. Greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful 
they invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. Now, some of us will look at that and be like, well, that's not so bad. You understand that in the Old, old Covenant, if you disobeyed your parents, rebellion was so bad that they stoned those people. And we don't think it's, when God says submit yourselves to governing authorities, we're all like, well, I'm an American. I got to speak my mind. Man, we, we ought to be so careful on that ground we're treading, okay? Because rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It actually deceives us where we think we're right and we're wrong. I'm not saying we don't have to speak out against corruption or injustice, but we do it in a dishonoring way in our culture today, and we have created a mess. And there are people, I believe, that think they're speaking for God, and they're going to be shocked one day if they don't wake up soon. They're going to be shocked on Judgment Day. They're not speaking for God because that's not how he speaks. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. Remember the, the, remember the Pharisees? What, what did they, Jesus say to them often? Go find out what this means. I desire mercy, not your sacrifice. You guys think you're doing the law perfect, but I want mercy out of you. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, and they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them also. This has been imprinted in our hearts, Okay? This is what God's imprinted in our hearts, and we, we don't like it, so we, re, we push it away little by little by little. And then we get to the place where what should be plain and obvious, this list that he just gave us, it's not so plain and obvious. Jeff says it this way, you may have wondered why it seems we've grown more and more confused over time as we absorb more and more arguments against the God things that we rarely questioned before. Some believe it's because we're becoming enlightened, but the truth is it's because we're becoming endarkened. Yep, our spiritual seer is beginning to malfunction, becoming hardened, numb, broken. But before we, all, we just start you know, thinking about the people outside those doors, <laughs> let me read to you what John says in 1 John 5, 21. Dear children, keep away from idols. That's the NIV. And if you read the NIV, you'd just move on to the next verse. But I love the New Living Translation because look how it defines idols. Anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Well, that says something different. Anything. This could be an idol. It could. It could become an idol. When you start using it to cut people up instead of to heal people up, it's become an idol. When you start memorizing it so you know God's word and you can spout out God's word, but you are not experiencing the God of the word, it's become an idol. It's become, when you use this book to get what you want, when you use this book to just get, you know, pleasures or a, a material blessing, it's become an idol. This book can become an idol. It says anything. I mean, let's, Let's look at Romans chapter 2, because we've got to turn the page to go to Romans chapter 2, because it doesn't just end with Romans chapter 1. We added the chapters and verses, and why we added this chapter and verse here, I don't know, because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, you would think scholars would know better, but scholars are scholars. <laughs> you may think you can condemn these people, the people outside the doors, remember? But you are just as bad, and you have no excuse when you say they're wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. 
For you who judge others do these very same things. And since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Oh, yeah, you're not a homosexual. Oh, yeah, you would never kill a baby. But what about the greed and gossip and disobedience and all of the other things on the list? Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? I mean, man, is he kind and patient. I mean, don't you see that he has made you right with Christ even while you are becoming like Christ? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see his kindness is intended to turn you from sin? A day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And he will judge everyone according to what they have done. Now, again, don't get stuck in (laughs) doo-doo. I know we're going to be judged according to what we have done, but the way we change what we do is to become. It's to worship him. It's to center everything on him and to become like him so that what I do is natural. I I, I can't go through life just trying to force myself to be something. It's not sustainable. That's old covenant. You can't live that way. You've got to become something so that it flows out of it. Could it be that if these things exist in our lives, hate, greed, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, gossip, backstabber, proud, boastful, slander, heartless, breaking our promises, could it be that something has taken God's place in our hearts and our senses have become dull? Could it be that we have focused more on just our doing than our becoming? Because if I'm going to force myself to do something, I can do it, but I have to understand that that doing is only external and I need something internal to take place to maintain that doing on the external. I mean, I don't turn God's grace into a license to do whatever I want to do. I still need to to beat my body and make it my slave, but I can't rely on that. I've got to become like him. I've got to find a way to worship God with everything. Okay, just making sure I'm still turned on. We've got to worship God for who he is. And we have a tendency to start worshiping the Bible or worshiping our methods, or worshiping rooms, or worshiping religious things, instead of worshiping Him. Instead of using these things to know Him, to encounter Him, to be transformed by Him, we start loving these things. And we don't realize that we're missing the obvious. See, Jesus told the the Samaritan woman at the well, A woman, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter where you worship. It will no longer matter. But yet it does matter for us. I'll tell you why in just a second. The time is coming, and indeed it's here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is looking for them who will worship him that way. And we joke about our preferences. We joke about churches that split over carpet color and all these preferences. And you know why we joke about things in life? Because they make us uncomfortable. There are things we're supposed to do, and yet we joke about them to try to make us uncomfortable for not doing them. You know, we joke about our weight, or we joke about exercise, and we joke about what we eat. And we joke about it because we know deep down inside we should be doing it, but it's easier to joke about it so that, you know, we're not like... And so we... we 
we have these preferences that matter so much to us. And do you know why? Because we need them to encounter God. We need them to encounter. We shouldn't need them, but we do. That's the reality. I need a certain song to be able to encounter God. I need a certain room to be able to encounter God. I need a certain external thing to encounter God. And because of it, i got to cling to it. And because we're just focusing on external change, we're becoming blind and we're, wor- we're going through religious motion and we're worshiping things, but we're not worshiping God. This is what the writer of Hebrews means when he says, there's much more we like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain because you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others, but instead you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. That's a mouthful. But here's the thing. I don't, I don't want anyone today to be like overwhelmed and be like, oh my goodness, I'm a wretch, I'm a terrible person. I mean, I, I want us to feel that way, but I want it to lead us to repentance. I mean, not one of us in this room today should say, I'm I'm good, I don't worship anything except God. Not one of us in this room should say that. And if you said that to yourself, you need to get on your face today and say, God, I am so blind. Because it's the natural propensity of life. But here's the thing, I don't want you to do something. I want you to become something. I want you to worship him. I want you to understand we've been made to worship. And if we don't make him the object of our worship, something else will fill that void. And when you start going to church and you start getting in a routine, it's easy to let good things fill that void. And the enemy's okay with that. He's okay with good things filling that void. And then we start needing those things. When we've been made to experience God consistently, regularly, and daily. You know, just this last week, we had our leaders at another church in town, and there was a pastor and his wife that were going to speak into our lives. And um, I loved it because he, he said, Let, I, just, I just sense the, the Spirit of God in here. Let's just respond to him in worship right now. And so he got on his knees, and he just started worshiping. And I thought it was so cool because I thought of this sermon. And I thought, that's what we got to be able to do. I mean, I love the songs, and I love the, the lights and the music. I love when I go to North Central. They know how to do it. They really do. I mean, they know how to worship God. They know, I mean, there's so many, so many talented musicians and, and people like Jeff pouring into them about not just music, about worship. And so I, I love it. And it's, it's not hard to get into the presence of God in that atmosphere. It's simple. It's easy. But you know when it's hard? When I wake up on a Monday morning and I feel like I'm surrounded. Not by good things. And it's hard to just get on my knees and say, God, you're the same God today that you were in that room. You're the same God. And I'm going to encounter you and I'm going to worship you and I don't care what my feelings do. Although, God, if you could change my feelings, that would really help me to worship you. And sometimes when we just engage our will in that moment, do you know what happens to our feelings? They catch up. And so many of us are waiting for God to change our feelings. Oh, God, just change my feelings. Or change my spouse. Or change our pastor. Or change this person. Or change my boss. Or change or change or change someone else. But dear God, don't ever change me. But you know what? Here's the thing. You are everywhere you go. 
And so God would be better to change us because we're everywhere we go. I need the worship team to come back. They're going to lead us in worship today at the end of this service because here's the thing. I, I don't want you to leave today doing something. I just want you to become something. I want you, I want us to engage our hearts today and say, God, wow, we need to be transformed. We need, God, discipline has its place, but it's not going to sustain us, and we need something more. And in the, the, one of the, the chapters that Jeff writes this week, this is how he tells us to respond, and this is a great way for us to kind of bring this to a close. Here's the two simple ways to respond. One, commit yourself to living every part of our lives unto God, including our playing, eating, working, and vacationing. I mean, when's the last time in the middle of our supper that we just got so overwhelmed by him? The same way we do when we're singing to him. Or when's the last time in the middle of work you just got so, I mean, are you doing, are you connect? I got, I got to connect to you. I got to connect to you. I got to connect to you. And it's not about our emotional response. I mean, I don't know that Paul had an emotional response when he said amen. He just wrote amen. And when's the last time that we did everything for him? And the second thing we have to commit ourselves to is to discontinue all of the things in our lives that cannot be done unto the glory of God. Listen, discontinue all of the things in our lives that cannot truly be done to the glory of God. See, ultimately, it's not a matter of whether these amoral things, they're not good or bad, but Hebrews tells us to cast them off. It's not a question of whether these things can be done to God's glory. It is that they must be. And whatever things that cannot be done to his glory, they must not be done at all. And so today, I want us to focus on him I want him to write his laws in our minds. I want him to write them on our hearts. I want him to make us like him. And here's the thing. You won't become totally like him right now. In this moment, you won't just become like him. But from this moment, we want to become like him. And there are some of you in the room today that maybe you're like, I don't even know if I have that relationship with God. I don't even know if I've really ever come into a, that full place of surrender with him. And our prayer team as we worship is going to be here in the front. And if you need someone to talk to you about how to get into that relationship with God, we'd love to do that. Because that's where it starts. But don't let it stop there. Every day of our lives, we give ourselves fully to him. So I want to, I want to invite you to stand. And I want you, again, in just a receiving posture, in just a receiving posture. God, today, right now, we receive maybe a rebuke from you. And we welcome it. We welcome it, God. We're not afraid of your rebukes. We're not afraid of your discipline. We love it. We love it when you correct us. God, if you, if you didn't correct us, we would not be your true sons and daughters. Your word says that you correct everyone you love, so we welcome your correction right now. But God, we're not gonna go internal. We're not gonna go looking for the things that we do wrong because that is a spiral of death. And so what we're gonna do, God, we're gonna just, we're gonna fix our gaze on you. We're gonna fix our gaze on you. We know that there's a, a bunch of junk in our lives that needs to be changed. <laughs> God, quite honestly, we don't know where to start. And so we're just gonna, we're gonna set our attention on you in this moment. We're gonna recognize we were made to worship and maybe we're worshiping the wrong thing and we're gonna just worship you.
and we're gonna receive from you. And God, we're gonna pick up parts of your personality today that maybe we're not even aware we're picking up. We're gonna pick them up because we're gonna choose right now to set our affection, to set our attention, to set our hearts, and to set our minds on you. Holy Spirit, have your way. Help us to be responsive to you when you speak. Holy Spirit, guide us, help us as we just set ourselves on you right now.
shout your praise forever. Um, Holy Spirit just said, will you really, Christy, instead of complaining when things come your way, will you really shout and trust and believe that I'm still in control? 
So if he's asking you that today, just sing it again with a declaration that yes, Father God, I declare today that I will bless you in the midst of everything. That I truly will shout your praise instead of complaining. (laughs) I vow today to do just that, Father God. Shout your praise forever. I will shout your praise forever. I was made to worship. I was made to bless your name. Sing it again. I will shout. I will shout your praise forever. I will shout. Your praise forever. I was made to worship. I was made to bless your name.
God, we don't want to give you a part of our lives. We don't want to give you a part of our hearts. Everything we have, we want to surrender and yield to you fully for your will. God, that your will would be accomplished in our lives. God, we trust that your will is best. It's best. So Holy Spirit, guide us in it. Thank you for giving us the mind of Christ so that we know what to do. 
Thank you for giving us the power of your spirit, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead so we do not have to be overcome by our circumstances, but we can rise above them. Thank you that you have given us spiritual eyes to see that there are more for us than against us. Thank you that you've given us spiritual ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church in these last days. God, prepare us and equip us to go out these doors today. Holy Spirit, I ask for the grace of God that is already being poured out to be poured out in our lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, help us to humble ourselves before you so that we can receive every drop of grace that you want to pour out into our lives today. We yield ourselves totally to you. Holy Spirit, have your way in our lives this week, I pray. In Jesus' name. I know that the time has come to be dismissed and I, I know that some of you have schedules that you need to keep and I wanna, I wanna honor that. And so if you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly. Some maybe wanna stay and linger and pray and just seek the Lord for a few more moments. If you haven't been prayed for and want a member of the prayer team to pray over you, don't leave today until they have that opportunity to do that. We'd love to pray for you today. Otherwise, God bless you as you go and uh, encourage you to be back again next week. Jesus, the only one who could ever say.